Hey, just to start off, I want you guys to know how truly humbled and grateful I am to be standing here before you. Um, Eric, our pastor, has given a few of us a great opportunity in this internship uh, to be able to learn um, from him and from a lot of you and then get the opportunity to stand before you and proclaim the word of God. It is not something that any of us take lightly and uh, we just hope that when we, when we do stand before you that his name is represented more than our own. Many of you don't know who I am, and that's all right. I don't share the traditional last names of the Millers or the Yoders or the Hirschbergers. It's Fruckowski. <laughs> so that's a rare one around these parts. So throughout my sermon today, I'm going to interweave a little bit of my testimony just so that you all have an opportunity to kind of see where I come from as well. If you've been following along, in our reading plan, you will know that we are in John 3. And if you have your Bibles with you today, feel free to turn to John 3 now. There's a lot to unpack in this chapter, but today we're going to focus on how it begins. Namely, upon the man Nicodemus. So we'll look at John 3, verses 1 and 2. And we read, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Let us pray one more, one more time. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scripture. Lord God, I just ask that you will cast a light upon it. That everyone in this room, Lord God, that their eyes will be opened and their ears will hear you. And again, Lord, I ask this in your son's holy name, in Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. So Nicodemus appears three times in the gospel. In the gospel of John, he appears alone. No other gospel has Nicodemus in it. Through these three appearances, Nicodemus shines a light on three different types of Christianity. Two of the three are counterfeit. One is authentic. The first type of Christianity that Nicodemus displays is a covert Christianity. As I said, we first meet him in John chapter 3. In verse 1, we are told that he is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. Later on in verse 10, Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. Just not any teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel. So what do these titles mean? Anyone who has spent an amount of time reading the gospel should at least be somewhat familiar with the Pharisees. It is clear that they held a position of authority and great influence amongst the Jews. They were scholars of the written and oral law. They set the law in Jewish society and they enforced it. They desired strict adherence to the Mosaic law, and Nicodemus was one of them. But Nicodemus wasn't just only a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the high court of the Jews. Whatever they ruled was final, and every Jew was expected to obey them. You may be wondering, why am I telling you this? Why is this background necessary? You see, when Nicodemus decided to visit Jesus, he assessed the risk. He knew the prevailing sentiment amongst the Pharisees was that Jesus was a threat. 
He knew that a man of his stature was taking a risk meeting with Jesus. He could lose so much. Everything that he had worked toward in his life may be lost. In fact, later in the book of John, we read that anyone who believed or confessed Christ was to be put out of the synagogue or excommunicated. So Nicodemus made a conscious decision to visit Jesus at night, covertly. I sometimes wonder if this is how we approach Christ in this manner, if we approach him covertly. We attempt to minimize the risk in an attempt not to lose anything. I grew up Catholic. My grandfather was one of the highest ranking officials in the Knights of Columbus. And I don't know, that may not mean anything to you all, but that is one of the largest Catholic organizations in the world. It's a global operation. They hold quite a bit of clout with the Catholic Church. My mother was one of eight children, and they were all raised devout Catholic. When I responded to God's calling on my life, I decided that I was no longer going to practice Catholicism. I distinctly remember asking myself, how would I respond if my family disowned me? I remember making a conscious decision that day. God is God. And I would follow him no matter what. Sorry. <laughs> Eventually, I was baptized as an adult, and I could tell much of my family was not happy about it. It definitely changed the dynamic of my relationships with all of my relatives. But overall, they still show me love, and I love them, and I often pray for them. I don't tell this story to toot my own horn or say, look at me. I hope that it may serve as an encouragement to any of you that may be facing the loss of someone or something to follow Christ. And I would encourage you to no longer covertly, covertly follow Christ. Covertly, sorry. You do want to convert, not covert. <laughs> you don't want to covertly follow Christ. The next time that we see Nicodemus is in chapter 7 of John's Gospel. The chief priests and Pharisees are conspiring to arrest Jesus. Nicodemus speaks up for Christ and asks, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus is quickly ridiculed and asked, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. There's little doubt that Nicodemus cautiously chose his words when defending Jesus. He attempted to appeal to the law that the chief priests, Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin clung on to. Christ wasn't physically there when they were discussing his arrest, but Nicodemus was the lone voice speaking up for him. But Nicodemus still spoke up cautiously in a way that was cautious. It seems as though his approach to Christ had advanced slightly. He had approached him at night before, covertly, now he seems to think enough of Jesus that he would at least like to see him get a fair hearing amongst his peers. I think we may sometimes approach Christ in this way, with caution. We may step out of our comfort zone for him slightly, but not wholeheartedly. 
we hold back almost as if we're not fully invested. I remember uh, after my wife, Jenna, and I got engaged, uh, I'd moved to Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. Anybody know where Louisville, Kentucky is? Louisville? <laughs> uh, you all might be thinking I'm mispronouncing that. My wife and I both grew up in Ohio as well, and my whole childhood we grew up using Louisville, Louisville sluggers in sports, right? And when you move to Kentucky, if you move to the Louisville area, they will quickly let you know that it is not pronounced Louisville, that it is Louisville, and you are definitely from out of state if you pronounce it any other way. What's interesting is when we moved here is that... Uh, when Jenna told me that she'd be working some in the Berlin area, I said, Berlin. And I kept on calling it Berlin, Berlin. And she said, we don't live in Germany. So apparently we're Berlin, Berlin. There's a, that's a little curl in there. But anyway, so we moved to Louisville. And uh, I started going to a local gym there. And God presented me with the opportunity to witness to a couple men. Actually, three different men. And from what I could tell... None of these men knew one another. Um, they would be in the gym at the same time that I was together, and they would never converse. But I would have these deep conversations with these men about life and, most importantly, about God. And as the conversations evolved, it got to the point that I asked each one of them individually if they would be interested in a Bible study as a group. And to my surprise somewhat, all three men said yes. Well, I'm ashamed to say that I never went through with it. I never actually organized it. I never actually brought them in together. And it's weird because I don't know what held me back. I don't know if I just didn't trust God enough, but I was clearly being cautious. You would think that if I trusted God enough to discuss him with these men and then invite them to a Bible study, I'd at least have trusted him enough to go through with it. I think part of my hesitancy was that I put too much stock in how I was going to organize it and didn't trust Christ to lead me. Perhaps I was being overly cautious, but I know that it is not how God desires us to live for him. We see Nicodemus one last time in the book of John, and it's in chapter 19. At this point, it seems that he is no longer approaching Christ covertly, or cautiously. You see, Jesus has been crucified at this point. Joseph of, Arama of Arimathea asks Pilate permission to care for Christ's body, but he's not alone. Nicodemus arrives, and he brings with him a 75-pound mixture of myrrh and aloe. These spices would be used in the process of burial. This amount, the 75-pound mixture of myrrh and aloe that he acquired, was not some small amount. It was an amount that would typically be used for the burial of a king. Acquiring this amount of spices would not have gone unnoticed. Nicodemus has, has come a long way since that nighttime meeting with Jesus. He doesn't seem to care any longer about what he might lose. He is no longer cautious about this endeavor. He is now courageous. Some of the most courageous Christians that I see often are new believers. There's something about them. There's a glow. 
They glow with excitement. They want to know God better. They want to learn his word. They're often most willing to go out and do for the glory of God. And at times, they are so bold. Early in my walk with the Lord, I was working in Columbus. Worked for uh, a small operation uh, called Giant Eagle, the grocery store chain. Did human resources for Giant Eagle. And we, were, we had a meeting scheduled. It was either in Cleveland or Pittsburgh. I can't remember the location. But we were going to carpool. And we were leaving early that morning. So we decided there was a certain store that we decided to meet at. Well, that store wasn't in the best area of Columbus. And in fact, since then, they've closed down the store. But I guess at one point in time, it was a decent area of Columbus. So our executive's offices were located at that store. So that's where we naturally would meet quite often. But as I said, it wasn't the best area of town. So I get there, and it's still dark. The sun hasn't rose yet. And there's a gas station affiliated with Giant Eagle called Get-Go's. You may have heard of <laughs> You might have heard of them. Um, that wasn't, like, supposed to be. You may have heard of them, but you might have heard of them. <laughs> but anyway, so I, went, I pulled up to the pump to fill my gas tank. I wasn't out of my vehicle yet. I was still sitting in my car. And there's a man approaching the driver's side of my vehicle, my driver's side door. And you can tell he's physically and emotionally distraught. And I, at this point, I don't know what is happening. And he comes up to my door, and I don't have the window rolled down, but I can hear him say, can I ask you a question? And his voice is quivering, and I'm a little bit freaking out inside. I'm looking at this man, and I'm thinking, what is, what is this, you know? And he says to me again, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. And he said, can you roll down your window? I'm not going to do anything. So I rolled it down maybe about that much. And uh, he proceeded to tell me about how he had just caught his girlfriend cheating on him. And where he was, where he saw her, or where this, where this all occurred, he had left all of his belongings, his wallet and everything. Now, I will have you know, this area was known for panhandling. So it wasn't odd for someone to come to ask you for money. But anyway, so he... So he tells me this story. He's visibly, visibly emotional. He's shaking. Tears are running down his face. And I don't know what got into me. Like I said, some of the most courageous Christians I've often seen are new believers. I was a new believer, and in something within me, God moved within me, and I asked him, I said, do you know Jesus? And he said, yes. So we talked for a little while, and I said, can I pray with you? So I rolled down the window all the way. And I held this man's hands. And right there, we prayed to God for understanding, for comfort, for peace. I reached in my pocket, handed the gentleman the money he needed, and I watched as he walked across the parking lot. There was a public transit bus stop. I saw him hand the money to the driver, and he was seated, 
and I never saw him again. This is going to seem really early, but worship team, you can come on up. <laughs> Nicodemus provides us with an opportunity to reflect on what, what type of Christian we are trying to be. Are we, are we trying to live a covert, a cautious, or a courageous Christianity? Only one of the three is biblical and Christ-glorifying. The other two are counterfeit. You may ask, why is covert and cautious Christianity counterfeit? What makes it so? Covert and cautious Christianity do not recognize Christ is the king. Only courageous Christianity says, I don't care what I lose. I'm done being cautious. I'm all in. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, my King. Today is the day to take stock in how you follow Christ. Is it a covert or a cautious pursuit? Or are you standing beside him courageously? Let's pray.